Okay, and welcome to today's episode of the Joygasm Effect. And I'm really blessed today to have JP Sears joining me. So welcome, JP. Well, thank you, Carrie. I'm super happy to be here, and I'm delighted that you're weird enough to invite me on your <laughs> lovely offering to the world. Thank you. And I, I know for our listeners, most people will know you from your ultra-spiritual YouTube series, which is hilarious. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and, a lo- and you're also an, an emotional healing coach, which gets a little hidden, I think. Yeah, it does. You know, there. I like to say there's two parts that help make the whole of me, probably more than two, but two kind of professional parts, the uh, satirical comedic side and then the sincere side. So, yeah, uh, it's been the past 15 years that I've had my emotional healing client coaching practice and uh, led retreats, workshops, classes all over the world, helping people help themselves find more meaning in their lives, heal their hearts and step deeper into their personal power and and i think you're right it it that sincere side the call it the more direct vulnerable messages of the human heart it does get covered up i think comedy the nature of it is there's much more of a mass appeal it can reach a much more horizontal direction and I mean, I know for myself, when I'm watching YouTube videos, very rarely do I watch like serious stuff. Like, I don't know, I just want to be amused. I want to laugh. So I totally get it. But the vertical uh, dimension of my sincere work, it's very near and dear to my heart. And also, for that matter, from my bias point of view, I don't want to discount the comedy work that I do. From my point of view, that has a vertical dimension where it's ultimately using the language of humor to uh, deliver my perspectives uh, to people, excuse me, to help them consider letting go of old beliefs that aren't serving them and stepping deeper into their true self. Uh, So that's there, uh, at least in my delusional opinion. (laughs) Yeah, because I know, like, following you for a little while, it, it did take me a while to to figure you out. Like, because I wasn't really sure. Okay, is this guy a skeptic? You know, you know, taking the <laughs> taking the piss and having a go at us, or was there some real wisdom there? And it wasn't until I actually saw a couple of serious videos of yours that I really gone, mm. oh wow, you know, there's some real truth and some real. Um, deeper understanding there so um Mm. so before we get into how you came to the um comedic side of your work can you just take us back a little bit and just share with us which is an ultra spiritual um principle how you spiritually awakened well i'll give you my my best story and i'll make it up so it's a better story than a true story (laughs) Uh, but I think the first part of the story is I don't consider myself spiritually awakened. Um, I would say I, it's in the process of happening, awakening. Um, you know, whenever I hear someone say, oh, yeah, I'm awakened, whatever, I reached my moment of enlightenment. What I hear them imposing is a, a glass ceiling over their head where they're psychologically shut down to more growth more in-depth connection to themselves. I, always, I think infinity is always bigger than we think it is. And I think our, 
our ability to grow and awaken is very much one of those infinite journeys rather than the destinations. So with my little dogma spoken about awakened versus awakening, you know, I think my awakening started, I would say, uh, December 3rd, 2003. Uh, that was the very first workshop I took with a man who became a such an important, powerful mentor of mine, John McMullen. And before that, I had been very shut down emotionally. And I think our emotions are just, it's, they're the nerve endings of our spirit. I think Carl Jung said it best. That's where he says our feelings are the language of our soul. So for me, being emotionally shut down, I think means I was also spiritually shut down. So, I mean, I was so emotionally shut down where it would have been at least six years since I cried. So from the age of 22 to six years before that, I mean, if I pretend like I'm good at math, what is that, 16? Maybe it was longer than that. So a good half dozen years since I had cried. And then that first afternoon, December 3rd, 2003, I'll never forget it. Great mentor, John McMullen. He just, he sees people. He's very intuitive. He doesn't buy into the stories that we have about ourselves that are ultimately just geared around creating comfort, not growth, not contribution. And he brought things up that he just saw in me. They happened to be issues from like when I was seven years old and my family and my relationship with my sister, stuff going on, parents getting separated. And it's like stuff that was like out of sight, out of mind, but he brought it up and that. So I was just a puddle of tears that night. I was on the phone with my sister crying my eyes out and she probably thought I was not half crazy, but completely crazy yeah. because she knew me as her brother. Like, Oh, this guy never cries. And there I am, probably not even able to speak coherent English, just crying my eyes out with her. It was very cathartic, very scary. I didn't like it, but it's what I needed. And it was very liberating to help awaken me to um, how numb I was emotionally and how constricted I was and disconnected spiritually I was. Wow. Like, I'm, I'm with you. Like, for me, the um, the heart, and the our emotions they are the language of the soul they do indicate everything for us mm. and yeah so that's a a really powerful time in your life and then and then yeah 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 so bring us forward a little bring us forward a little bit and just share with us how you moved into working with other people and being of service and um and then how your um your YouTube channel came about and your, your, the success of your YouTube videos, which do have over a hundred million views. Mm. Yes. So when I was, let's see, out of high school, I went to college. Then I dropped out of college. Didn't know what the heck I wanted to do in life. And then I became very intrigued about uh, a guy's, Work a guy named Paul Check. Uh, he did a lot of work in holistic exercise and holistic health. And I had always been into fitness exercise, but I just never had passion a passion about it, like in a professional sense. But I started to get into his work, and like this passion ignited. 
And that became like a, a gluten-free breadcrumb trail that led me where I needed to go. So like at the time I started to get into his work with holistic exercise, I was 18. And it, much like the story I told you before, you could imagine 18-year-old JP, there's no way uh, he would have been interested in working with people in the realm of their human heart and soul, doing emotional healing work. Like, no way. Emotions are for weak people, what 18-year-old JP would have said. But the the exercise work, I became passionate about that. And that led me into being very interested in nutrition. And then that deepened uh, an interest into stress reduction, which then led into an interest in full-on emotional healing. So, um, yeah, it was a very serendipitous gluten-free breadcrumb trail that um, took me. And I, so I started working with clients uh, with exercise and nutrition. And that just slowly faded into over the course of a few years. No, wow, now I'm predominantly working with people uh, on emotional healing. So it was a nice subtle transition just as the passions of my heart transitioned and I think the the depth of myself that I was willing to connect with became reflected in just what types of people and what types of issues those people had that I was working with. So I went, um, went along, uh, I guess from that point for the next uh, uh, 10 years or so, um, working with clients, teaching classes, workshops, and uh, retreats. And then in 2013, it would have been, I started my YouTube channel. And at the time it was, uh, you know, my business part of my brain was just saying, yeah, I want to reach more people, you know, get more clients into my practice. So there was like a business strategy uh, behind it. So I started doing just sincere life advice videos, uh, which were, it was great. I loved doing. I uh, loved it. And then uh, it was uh, at least a year and a half later uh, that I finally made my first comedy video for my YouTube channel, and and that was a struggle. It was a real rite of passage, like a birth canal that I really resisted going through because I made up a story. And most frighteningly, I believe the story that said it would be bad for business for me to let my comedy, my sense of humor out in the professional setting, let alone such a visible professional setting like a YouTube channel. Like Anybody yeah. could go watch it and that, then I'll be discredited. People won't take me seriously as someone who can offer a great service to people. But nonetheless, uh, I couldn't keep betraying myself anymore. I mean, to me, it actually became a self-betrayal where it's like, okay, this very humorous part of me is not welcome in a professional setting. In fact, it's not only not welcome, but I think this part of me would hurt me. It's like, wow, that's quite a shame-based relationship with this part of me. But nonetheless, uh, I guess I got sick and tired of that self-betrayal. And even though I still thought it would be bad for business, I made my first comedy video and it it felt very creatively satisfying because it's one thing. I mean, I love just looking at the camera and speaking a message from my heart. That's great. But the, the comedy 
it's it's more artistic. There's more creative energy that goes into sharing a perspective rather than just sharing a perspective like I had been doing on YouTube. And so it, it became very fulfilling. And then I also saw within a few weeks of releasing the first video, it was getting um, a great reception. It was being widely received, shared a lot. And that was also encouraging, very much from a codependent sense, yeah. yet encouraging nonetheless. So after a couple of weeks, after the first comedy video was released, it dawned on me like, wow, maybe I could make more comedy videos because it felt good. And it turned out it was uh, pretty damn good for business, too. Not only did it not hurt my business, but it became... Um, uh, probably the best thing I had ever done for my client coaching business as far as bringing more people into my pra practice than I could possibly handle. And and really that's come about through just being more you, more of your true self and being more authentic. And I saw in an interview that you did recently, you said that authenticity is the life force of our time. Hmm. You know, you know, so, um, and, and I totally agree with that. I think we need more authenticity in the world. And I do think it's a powerful creative force and you've seen the results of that. So let's just talk a little bit more about authenticity and what it has meant for you. Yeah. And I think authenticity, nothing is scarier, but nothing is more rewarding than being authentic. And I think being authentic is a journey not a destination. And I think being our authentic self has nothing to do with being who we think we are, nor being who we want to be, but being who we actually are. And from my delusional perspective, our true self, our authentic self, isn't something that we create. It's not something we get into our tiny little human mind and our ego leans in with its agenda of I just need to be significant no matter what and then creates like this idea of who we want to be like no I think the miracle of our being is far more expansive than the desirous agenda of our ego so with that said I think being our uh, discovering our authentic self is an act of discovery not creation I think it's a treasure and that's part of of why I think it's so scary uh, to walk the journey of becoming more authentic. It's scary because it's one that uh, it implies we don't have control. Yeah. Because if it's not us creating ourselves, uh, it means we're discovering ourselves. It means who we discover we are might not be who we want to be. And I think our who we want to be is typically you know, it, it's a compensatory reaction for like our inner wounds, our sense of insignificance. So it's like, oh, if I feel shame inside or if I feel insignificant, then who I want to be is someone significant. So I can try and escape my pain rather than actually working with it. So, man, being authentic in, and I would dare say when we can be as true on as we, let me say it differently, when we can be as unapologetically true to ourselves as possible in any given moment, we win period. I think betting on ourself is always a surefire win. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean things will go the way we want or the way we think they'll go. 
I, I think, which by the way, that has nothing to do with winning either. I think it just has to do with comfort and control. So we always win. So, you know, who I am, I'm not just a comedy guy, though that is a dimension of my authentic being. So what I've stumped, the truth of myself that I stumbled into is, wow, betting on me, as in like letting me be me, which means at times I'm very comedic, that's a win for me. It, it really is, which means it's liberating as hell, which means it's also scary as hell because I, you know, I've been in the process of had uh, a process of disillusionment where I've had shattered my notions of who I'm supposed to be. You know, I used to imagine myself as like, you know, Eckhart Tolle and yep. you just sort of like, oh, there's that just super serious spiritual teacher. And, and it's cool to be inspired by someone like that. However, I was striving to be someone like that. And, you know, it's kind of scary to lose that figment of our imagination of who we're supposed to be. Yet it's liberating at the same time. Yeah, because you don't really... In my, in my opinion. Yeah, because you don't know who you, you... You know what you're letting go of, but you don't know who you're discovering or, or what's going to come through. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I believe that um, our authentic self is, is complete and who we are at the point of creation. And, and we are just, um, you know working towards becoming that in wholeness and and that and you, you know so so the fact that you're you're bringing all of that to your work is inspiring so you know so oh, yeah thank you. thank you for doing that and thank you for sharing even though it's it's unique and that's you know that's what we need we need unique <laughs> we we need unique ways of doing business and sharing this information with the world so uh, so thank you for doing that Oh, you're welcome. You know, I always tell people um, trying to be yourself makes you just like everyone else who's trying to be themselves. So be unique by trying to be like someone else. You know, I, I, I think being unique is absolutely uh, critical. I, I mean, I think there's telling, sharing my perspective, which is what everybody already knows. There's a reason why we're here in this world. Yep. There, there's a reason why our being is here. And I really could care less what someone's um, abstract, spiritual, or religious, or atheist beliefs are. Those are just three words that mean the same thing, but called dramatically different things, atheist, religious, spiritual. But I think we can all agree there's a reason why we're here. Uh, even if we say, well, no, there is no reason why I'm here. Okay, well, there's a reason why you're here having no reason to be here. And that's reason enough. And I think the reason is to be yourself, not to be someone else. Um, yeah, I, I think allowing ourselves to discover our uniqueness and express it and not apologize for it um, is a beautiful part of our journey. And I think part of the, what you know, that's so easy to say hard to do. And I think one of the reasons is, in my experience, and I'd be curious about yours, Carrie, when we're children, man, and they call them the formative years of our life for a reason. I mean, that really forms how we are in our adulthood until there's a lot of conscious intentional intervention. 
So when we're in our childhood, we tend to be validated when we act and are the way other people want us to be. Uh, you know, mom and dad will reward us with approval when we act the way they want us to act. And I get it. That's that's fine. But that means we're not necessarily validated when we're acting like ourselves. So it's like we're we can be punished when we step into our uniqueness and we can be rewarded when we step away from our uniqueness. And I think we have to flip the script on that and nobody will do it for us. That's why it's a very thankless job to step into, I think, our real joy. And I think a huge part of our real joy and maybe the only part of our real joy is being ourself. I don't know uh, that it comes from anywhere else other than the geyser of self within. And in what you said there is all that has been my experience and it's not because what we do is we we um we do live to other people's expectations and wanting to please and serve other people as children and then what happens is we take that into our adult relationships and the and the the journey of um being more authentic will actually have you break all that down and you know i know for me personally the last couple of years have been a major um turning point in that for me um but you're right I think when we do come more into our authentic self and being who we are that there is joy in that there is uh, that's the simplicity of it is that there is there's joy that we experience more and more just by being ourselves and that really does come across in your videos you know like the energy Mm. that comes through from your videos is one of just joy Hmm. Even though sometimes you've got to think about what's being said. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it. I love your work on joy. And I mean, to me, that just points beyond the realm of description. Uh, and I think it's a great service to give people. And I think when we are ourselves stepping into our true joyful nature, we're in an acceptance-based relationship with ourself, not an approval-based relationship. And honestly, like at times it can be, even when we're walking a, a conscious path, it can be painful to not get people's approval. It can be pain, even more painful to get their disapproval. However, we can, we have the capacity for that. Like that can hurt, but not harm us when we are in an acceptance-based relationship where it's like, okay, I, JP, I can accept myself even if someone disapproves of me. I can accept myself even if I disapprove of me at times. Um, where, and to me, that's dramatically different than just being in an approval-based relationship with ourself. That to me is just, it's rocky, it's tumultuous, it's complete codependence when our lifeblood is approval. If our lifeblood can be acceptance, it's like, would you rather have joy flowing through your veins or just codependent temporary approval that's going to evaporate within seven minutes? It's like one is, in my opinion, one is junk food and the other is wholehearted nutrition and I'm an approval addict. I, I, I'm not, and I'm not a psychic, but I, if I was, I would guess 
I'll always have an addiction to approval. I'll always enjoy it when I get it. And I'll always not really like it when I don't get it. How it so that's probably not going to go anywhere. But to me, the thing that changes is, is that all I have? Or do I, it's kind of like, do I eat whole food nutrition? Then once in a while, eat junk food too. Very different than just eating junk food. So if I can have the acceptance-based relationship with myself and other people in my life, and then you know some approval dynamics will play out on top of that. It's like, well, there's a solid infrastructure of self for that approval stuff to rest on versus no infrastructure of self-acceptance. And there's a heck of a lot of heavy, tumultuous approval stuff happening it can squash us if we don't have the pyramid of self-acceptance, um, in my delusional opinion, anyway. And I, I, for sure, like I just w- what I was thinking and hearing at that point was um, th- that sense of approval that's always going to be there. That that's just part of hu- humanness. You know, we want to belong. Yeah. You know, we want to. We want to um, be connected to other people. It's it's so it is always going to be there. You know, we we can't live this existence without ego. So that's just what it is. You know. <laughs> yeah, man. I've tried tried to live it without <laughs> ego, and I found like wow, those times when I was trying to like be free of my ego is like that was such a gr- ego gratifying thing I was trying to do. What could be more egoically gratifying than being so evolved that we don't have an ego anymore? So uh, it's like, Oh yeah, no, I, I guess Carrie's right. We do have an ego. And it's and, okay. Yeah. Because the thing, I think the part of our ego is what makes us unique. You know, it's, yeah. it's what makes you JP part of it. You know, it's that part that helps us identify what we like, what we don't like, what we you know, yeah. you know, so for me, um, it's about embracing that side of herself as much as anything. But I wanted to ask you, you know, um, I have a couple of young adult um, adults, you know, like they're my kids, but they're they're young adults, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And, I, and when you've been talking, I've been and thinking about your 16 year old self. What would you say to young people? What would you say to to young people that, um, you know, possibly ha- had similar experiences to you that were emotionally disconnected, you know, what would what, with what you know now, what would you say to someone at that point in their life? Yeah, I would say two things. One, you're allowed to feel insecure. It's normal. Everybody acts like they aren't insecure, but everybody has it. So it's okay that you feel the way you feel. It's absolutely fine. And then the second thing is, uh, you are not supposed to have it all figured out. It's impossible for you to figure it all out. And with that, it's also okay that you don't know uh, everything, that you don't have it figured out. So to me, figuring it out, who we are and who we are to the world around us, our family and ourself and who and what the world is to us, um, I think it's impossible to figure out in this premeditated notion that, you know, we, so many of us as teenagers, are we kind of curse ourselves with, like, I'm supposed to figure this all out. It's like, no, just like a one-year-old who doesn't know how to walk, they're not supposed to figure out how to walk before they know how to walk. It's a stumbling, fumbling, awkward process. 
And I think our learning how to walk into ourself is the exact same thing. So, man, it, it, long story short, I think how I would summarize that, I'd look at, if I was talking to my 16-year-old self, I would say, uh, you don't know. And it's supposed to be that way. It's okay for you to not know. And hey, even, when, even when you think you know, you don't know. No, that's right. And hey, I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> you know, so let's, so let's talk about your book. Your book, How to Be Ultra Spiritual, is um, being released soon. Yes, the official release date is March 7th, uh, here coming up real shortly, and it's also available online for pre-order as we speak. So yeah, I I put my heart and soul into this project, and I am um, very, very, uh, I would say, blessed and happy with it. In fact, well before the book was ever released, the whole journey of writing the book was a rite of passage uh, to me where I went deeper into myself, deeper into my creative wells, you know, expressing, in my opinion, important life concepts all through the language of comedy. Um, It was a win before anybody else looked at it. In fact, if nobody else on earth saw the book, it would still be a win um, for me. Yeah, look, I have to say I was a little disappointed to learn I can't be a guru being a woman until 2045. Yeah, well, I appreciate it's very humble of you that you took that lesson. <laughs> and, of course, I think you're, you're referring to, what is that, chapter six, uh, finding your guru, following your yeah, followee, yeah. something like that. And, and, and what you're alluding to is something I was playing with how uh, – Oftentimes in the spiritual world, I think other worlds, we have this notion of like, it's it's still a male dominated dominated world. And I mean, it's 2017. It's not as bad as it used to be. Um, So I I got to exaggerate some of how we're still in this patriarchal world. Of course, a guru can only be a man. Um, In fact, that's something I was just speaking about earlier with this beautiful, beautiful uh, woman I'm in a uh, relatively new relationship with, um, how important it is for the feminine, the divine feminine to have a voice. And what I mean by that, yes, I think it's very important, just what I said, the feminine to have a voice. But here's the real important. I think it is so important for the masculine to freaking listen to the divine feminine voice that comes through the the mouths of women. And I do think men can speak the divine feminine voice, but I think there is something, there's a reason why some people are in a men's body, women's body. Some of us are confused, think we're the other. It doesn't even matter. So I know as a, a man, you know, it's kind of like the, the yin-yang the yang is not complete without the yin. If the yang can receive the yin, it becomes more whole, comes way better off. But if the yang, the masculine, won't receive the yin, uh, it's uh, it's a part from the whole. And that's uh, not a very empowered place to be. So uh, anyway, I was talking with this beautiful woman earlier today, just how passionate I I am about encouraging other men to 
connect with the divine feminine. I think it's very easy for men to listen to other men. But sometimes uh, what's easiest is not necessarily the most rewarding or the most therapeutic. So anyway, you got me all... Yeah, there's probably a whole other book. Pumped in up there. on the Divine Feminine now. Too. There's probably a whole other book in there, JP. Yeah, I think you're right. And I also realize in our conversation, I, I think it is the nature of many interviews, but nonetheless, here I am, the man doing most of the talking. And what I should be doing is practicing the art of silence and fill up my ears, Terry. <laughs> No, that's what I. That's what I'm doing. I'm I'm receiving and filling up my ears and being inspired. So, um, but I, I did. I as I said, I was intrigued by your work, and it did. As I said at the beginning, it took me a little while to to figure it out. But when I did discover the wisdom that is there for me, it was like, oh, you know, this needs to be shared as much as the comedy stuff. So I wanted to tap into that mm. and do some of that with you and support your book. But what? So what would be Thank your you take-home message from the book? What would be your... Yeah, well, it, you know, again, the book is a comedy front, in my opinion, that's embedded with deeper messages. So the, the take-home of the deeper message uh, messages, two things. One, uh, let go of that which served you, but no longer serves you. Step one of that is recognize what served you but no longer serves you. It's just like we can eat food and it can serve us real well. But after about 24 hours, if we don't let go of it, it starts to disserve us. So we get attached to things that work for us. We get attached to practices, belief systems that work for us. And the attachment says it worked for me, so it'll always work for me. Mm. Yeah. I think if we look at our nature, the food you eat, it'll work for you if you let go of it in the right time. Otherwise, that nutrition becomes a source of toxic, uh, uh, toxicity. So let go of that which served you but no longer serves you. And then there's a message of encouraging people to unapologetically step deeper into their true self. Brilliant. So thank you for sharing that with the world. And I have one mm. last question for you. And this, this is a signature question. So how are you going to achieve a joygasm this week, JP? I love it. Uh, connecting with other people, I think, is uh, how I will do it. And I think the reason why connecting with other people is important to me is it's one of the ways, not completely, not the only way, but it's one of the ways that I become more connected with myself um, yep. Yep. it sounds a little cliche, but I think other people are our mirrors. And if we realize, if I realize I'm looking in the mirror when I'm connecting deeply with people, then I become more connected with who's looking in the mirror, which is myself. So I, at the moment I happen to be in LA Venice beach and I'm going to be seeing, uh, some old friends. I'm going to be meeting some new people with some kind of you know business interactions we're doing and it's important to me to connect with those people i don't care what the context is business or not well we're all humans and i'm here to connect with you so i can learn more about me and connect deeper to me so if i were a psychic i would predict that's part of what's going to give me a joygasm and i'm curious if i'm allowed to uh, ask you the same thing carrie what are you going to do this week to give yourself a joygasm? What am I going to? Well, 
first of all, this afternoon I'm going out to have afternoon coffee with my girlfriends, get my nails done. And I've got a couple of these interviews and I to do like I've got another one in a few days. And one of the, one of my intentions for the year is to actually bring more of my other passion into my work. I'm a big country music fan. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's my other passion, right? So that's I don't play, I just enjoy it and I do and experience a joygasm connecting and listening and you know, I'm a big Keith Urban fan, of course. So um so one of my intentions for the year is to bring that more into my work, to bring more um, of my country lifestyle, my country music lifestyle into my work. And so coming up, I've actually got um, an interview with an Australian country artist who's living in um, Nashville. Oh, how cool. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just finding that naturally flowing in and I'm excited to do that. So over the next week, that's going to be... A joygasm as much as today has been for me so um so thank you oh phenomenal and congratulations on being willing to cut new territory into uh i, I think the the path that we're all on of bridging country music uh into self-growth i think that's awesome yeah well i think it's a kind of thing of there's and you would see this, that there is so many ways that people celebrate who they truly are. Um, yeah. and, the, and a lot of it is done through awareness and consciousness. So I want to sort of bridge the two worlds, you know, like where, we've, where we have spiritually aware people going out chasing their dreams and um, it doesn't always have to be the gurus that talk about <laughs> or yeah. what they know, you know, it can just... People living it, that's that's where, that's what inspires the joygasm effect, I think. I, I love that. What the message I heard you say is uh, there's a lot of wisdom to learn from people, even the ones who don't know that they have a lot of wisdom to share. Absolutely. And uh, one of my beliefs in my delusional state of mind is oftentimes we learn the most when we don't know we're learning you know, we can go sit at the feet of a guru or a teacher in a learning context, and it can be great. We can learn a lot. However, being in the three-dimensional just uh, uh, landscape of life, uh, I think, is really where we learn more because it's experiential. So I love how you're you're talking about how you want to point uh, pull out the experiential aspects of people's life, which is the wisdom. Yeah. Uh, and I think, honestly, I think that's a beautiful service, not only to give yourself and the people who listen and witness your work, but it is so therapeutic for people to be able to tell their story. And, and I think a lot of people, I'm sure the majority of people uh, in the world aren't in the role of a teacher, an expert, or an authority. And I think we as a society do them a disservice of not asking for their stories. There is so much catharsis, so much integration uh, of self, in my opinion, that happens when someone can tell their story. Uh, so anyway, I, I feel deeply touched hearing about what you're looking to be doing. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. And, yeah, you're um, welcome. 
Yeah, so just lastly, I just want to thank you again for your time today and um, every, wish you every success with the book and its launch and um, keep up sharing your unique way with us. So, um, so thank you and we'll be watching. Mm. Oh, thank you so much, Kara. I, I love your your words of support. I definitely take them on. They're beautiful. And I appreciate you having me on. It's been an absolute joy talking with you.